Exodus 1, 1 through 7. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Amen, you can be seated. Good morning. It is so good to see you this morning and so good to see so many new faces. Let me introduce myself. My name is Kendall McDonald and I have the privilege of pastoring here at, uh, at Fredonia Hill. And uh, wanna just echo the, I'm sure, hopefully, the chorus of voices that have welcomed all of our new students here uh, this morning. I just want you to know that we uh, believe, our little town believes it to be a honor and a privilege to be able to uh, walk alongside you during this season of your life. Um, I see some new faces here, some freshmen, and so just for you, if this is your first time here, if you're a freshman or a transfer student, uh, or you just walked in and happen to be here with all the new people this morning, let me welcome you to Fredonia Hill. Let me welcome you to Nacogdoches. This is a wonderful, wonderful place. Um, if you're from a, a larger city and you're here, you may be wondering, what am I doing here? Uh, but I just believe that God has for you uh, just a depth and a richness in your journey with him uh, that we believe uh, that God desires for you and, and want uh, to walk alongside you during that, uh, that season of your life. If you don't even, if you don't know who Jesus is and you just wound up here this morning because some cool people played sand volleyball with you last night, you are welcome here. And our hope, our desire um, is to introduce you to Jesus. He has rescued each and every one of us from slavery to sin and death and fear and evil and set us free and changed our life. And it is a gift for us to be able to share that with you. If you came in here this morning and you know who he is, you've been walking with Jesus for years, our hope and our prayer is that during this season of your life, that your roots would go deep down, that your faith would grow, that that foundation would be solidified because we know that God has incredible things in store for your future as he uses you to glorify his name. But you came on a good Sunday because we are starting a new series. We're gonna start a series on the book of Exodus. And how about Jordan reading this morning? She navigated all of those names pretty well. That was really good. That was really good. I'm not gonna reread it because she did way better than me, but um, we are gonna start in the book of Exodus. And I'll just, for those of you that like a plan, you're in the wrong place um, because I have no idea how long this is gonna take. Um, I may retire before this finishes. Um, there are 40 chapters in the book of Exodus. We're gonna do seven verses today. So just whatever kind of math you wanna do, we're gonna take some breaks probably here and there uh, for sure, but we're gonna take a journey through uh, the book of Exodus. Now, in order to do that today, we've gotta, we've gotta get oriented to, uh, to the story of scripture thus far. And just a little uh, Bible study hint, anytime that you open your Bible and you go, God, I wanna get into your word, I wanna study, I wanna learn, just understand that whatever you're reading on whatever given page doesn't stand alone, that it has a context, it is 
related to the entirety of scripture. And just so one of the ways that we've got to study is we've got to go, okay, what comes before this? What comes after this? What, in what ways does what I'm reading now touch on things that I've already read uh, before and things that are coming later? It sits within the context of the whole of scripture. And so in order to understand what is happening in uh, Exodus chapter one, verse one through seven, we need to get a running start by just taking a brief look at the entire book of Genesis, all right? So we're gonna start Exodus by me preaching through, I'm just kidding, we're not gonna do that. But we do need to understand the flow and the momentum of the book of Genesis. So Genesis is different than Exodus in terms of the way in which it rolls the content out. So the book of Genesis moves through the narrative through generations. It covers different themes, and I'm gonna talk about through a few of those themes, but it does so by moving through generational lines and winding up at the place where Exodus begins. The themes of Genesis are creation and rebellion and covenant. You're gonna find all of that, and certainly there are others, but these are some of the huge themes of the book of Genesis. And so the beginning section is the, the, uh, the generations from Adam to Noah. And this is where we're gonna get the, the theme of creation, but we're also gonna get the theme of rebellion. Now, we spent a lot of time on that in our previous series on spiritual warfare, and we understand that when we're talking about rebellion, when we're talking about sin, that it is a intermingling rebellion between spiritual forces of evil and human beings. That always works together. Genesis 3 is where we're introduced to the, to the serpent in the garden, and there are subsequent rebellions in the book of Genesis. So we get that theme from Adam to Noah. So in Genesis 3, it goes wrong, it breaks. The next family or the next generation that we're brought into is where the story focuses in on Abraham. Now, Abraham's story is where we get the idea that God's plan to redeem humanity, that thing that broke in Genesis chapter three, that that redemption narrative is gonna take place through a covenant with a human family. So covenant starts to really show up more prominently here as we focus in on Abraham. And what happens is the narrative focuses in on this one family, on the family of Abraham. Then we get Isaac and Jacob after Abraham, and this is where the theme of blessing and curse start to really show up. This is where we start to see what it looks like, blessing and the abundant life, when we live into alignment with God's design for us. When we live into alignment with God's plans and purposes for our life, we're going to start to see the theme of blessing and abundant life. You can understand then what happens on the other side of that coin. When we step outside of God's design, of God's plan, we start to see the idea of a curse, of the lack of abundant life because we've stepped out from under the rule and the reign of God. Now, let me just say, the family that we're focusing on, the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a jacked up family, okay? If you guys are thinking that because this is a family in the Bible, it's all neat and tidy and clean, you got another thing coming. If you just read Genesis, there is all sorts of scandal and brokenness and issues within this family. Then after Isaac and Jacob, we get to Jacob, or as scripture refers to him as Israel, we get to Jacob's sons. 
Now, this is where we're gonna encounter the theme of exile. But Jacob, if you wanna just kind of take a snapshot into how messed up this family is, Jacob has a favorite son, and his favorite son is Joseph. Now, Joseph's brothers don't like that too much. Obviously, they see the affection of their father for Joseph, and they're jealous. And so, naturally, what do jealous siblings do? They hatch a plan to kill their brother, right? Right? I told you, this family's kind of messed up, right? So they, they, out of jealousy, they plan to kidnap and kill Joseph. But in this crazy twisting and turning of events, by God's provision, what happens is that Joseph ends up in Egypt. He ends up in Egypt, but then rises to prominence in Egypt through wisdom that God gives him. And so as he rises to prominence and favor, he becomes a man of high, high power in Egypt. And with the advent of a famine that takes place all over that region, what ends up happening is that God provides a way for Jacob's family to go to Egypt where Joseph is and discover provision for Jacob's family in Joseph, the brother they tried to kill, who's now a boss in Egypt. I told you this is crazy, right? This is the story. If you haven't read your Bible yet because you thought it was boring, you have not started, <laughs> right? There's a lot going on. But God provides a way for Jacob's family to be provided for. They reunite with Joseph. There is reconciliation and there's provision for Jacob's family through Joseph. So go to Genesis chapter 50. We're gonna read the close of Genesis and we're gonna start in verse 22. It says, so Joseph remained in Egypt, right? He and his, fa his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit, uh, visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So here's how Genesis ends. Notice what Joseph says. In verse 24, Joseph references the covenant promise of God to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. Joseph says that we are here, we are in Egypt, but this is not the fulfillment of the promise that God will be faithful to bring us into the land which he has promised. Joseph references the covenant that God has made with his family. And so Genesis closes and it's not settled Genesis closes and we go, okay, God's people are in exile in Egypt. They're in a strange place. God promised that he would bring them to a land of promise, but, but Genesis closes with that not being fulfilled. It closes with a, it's maybe coming, but it's certainly not yet. That's how Genesis closes. So when chapter one, Jordan so brilliantly read, verse one through seven opens up, it opens up with the phrase, these are the names of. It begins to list out 
the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that are present in Egypt. But that theme, that phrase, I want you to grab that, these are the names of, it introduces us to a huge theme at the very beginning of the book of Exodus. So in chapters one through about 17, this is gonna be a major, major theme, and it's a theme of a name, A theme of a name. Now, it opens up with the names of this human family. But what you're gonna find shortly, what you're gonna find very quickly in the book of Exodus is that there is more than one name that needs to be considered. There are the names of this human family, but then there is the name. And there is the name that what's gonna happen and why this is important. When I say the name, I am speaking of Yahweh. And here's what's gonna happen. The name is so crucial in these first 17 chapters because in the ancient world, your name was who you were. It was an identity. To say your name was not just an introductory statement, this is what you should call me. To say your name was to give identity. It works a little bit like our last names do now. And listen, here, here's the deal. If you're new to Nacogdoches, let me just tell you some things. There's some last names that have been here a minute, okay? All right, this is a small town. Any of you that grew up in a small town, you know that as well. You know what happens with your name. Your name is not just what people call you, but your name means something about who you are. It is an identity. So, When we're talking about the name, what God does, now this is not gonna be, in Exodus is not gonna be the moment that God's name is revealed for the first time. This is not the first time we're gonna see Yahweh. If we read the book of Genesis, we're gonna see Yahweh a bunch. But here's what happens in Exodus that is so crucial that we're gonna get to later on. In Exodus, the name Yahweh is revealed alongside God's redemptive action being faithful through his covenant and his rescue of the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now, why is that important? Because what God does by acting within this heading of the name, this is who I am and this is what that looks like, is God is placing a stamp on the revealed character of who he is. He is placing an emphatic stamp on the fact that this is Yahweh who redeems his people. And that's the message that God attaches to his name so that the nations of the world will know who he is. When the nations of the world hear the name, what this moment does, what what we're gonna read in the book of Exodus is God rescues the children of Israel out of Egypt is now in the nations of the world, the name is associated with redemption. This is the God that acts this way. You see what I'm saying? So God is for the nations of the world, God is giving an identity statement about who he is. He attaches his name to redemption. And that's what's gonna happen. That's what's gonna be fleshed out in the book of Exodus. Now, we need to geek out for a second about names, okay? Because we've gotta be able to read our Bibles, okay? And sometimes in English, our Bibles are kind of hard, especially as it relates to names, okay? So if you don't like to geek out in Hebrew and Bible translation, you just take about a 
five or six minute break, okay? If you do, welcome to church, all right? Here we go, you ready? So we're gonna, we're gonna work on this. I'm gonna, I am not a Hebrew scholar, okay? I'm gonna do my best. I am not a Hebrew scholar, but what I'm gonna try to do is work us through this in a pretty short amount of time. So you guys know that in our previous study on spiritual warfare, we learned a lot about the different names and titles that show up in the Old Testament, particularly as those dealt with spiritual beings. So let's just do a little quick recap. And if you wanna get more into this, look back into our last series. But one of the things that we learned is that the word in Hebrew, Elohim, is not a personal name. That the word Elohim in the Hebrew is a word that, that distinguishes a category of beings that inhabit the spiritual realm. So what you're gonna see when you see the word Elohim in Hebrew, it could be referring to angels. It could be referring to idol gods of other nations. It could be referring to Yahweh's heavenly staff team. All of those are referred to in that category of Elohim. But it's also a word that when used in the singular is a word that is used to point to Yahweh. So Elohim in Hebrew can be used in the singular or the plural. And when it's singular, it's pointing to Yahweh. When that happens, you're going to see the word God capitalized, capital G-O-D in your English Bible. It's not a personal name. God is not his name. That sounds really strange, okay? And here's the deal. When I learned this, it messed up my prayer. Because <laughs> what, what do I do when I start praying? Lord God, and I'm like, wait, okay, I got, you know, it's, it made me just hang on for a second. But let me, just, let me just try to tease this out a little bit. God is not a, a, a personal name. When you see it in the singular, again, it is pointing to, absolutely pointing to Yahweh, which is why it is capitalized in scripture. There's another word that you're gonna find in your English Bible, it's the word Lord. Now this time, it's gonna be capital L, lowercase O-R-D. That's the Hebrew word Adonai. This is also not a personal name. The word Adonai in Hebrew is a title that means master, It can be used to speak of of a heavenly being. It can be used to speak of, of, of a human being. But when it is used to speak of Yahweh, what do you think happens to the L? It gets capitalized. So when you see the word Lord, capital L, lowercase O-R-D in scripture, you are reading Adonai and it is a word that means master. So, If we're using the word God, if we're using the word Elohim as a personal name, here's what it would be the same as. It would be the same as meeting me and calling me human. Hi, I'm human. I'm referring to myself in a category, right? That's not my personal name. My personal name, I would want you to call me not human. Please don't do that. At lunch today, if I sit down at your table, don't say, hello, human. My name is Kendall, and you can call me that. Here's all I need you, to, here's all I need you to, to grab here. Yahweh is the personal name of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Yahweh is the personal name of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. When God reveals his personal name to Israel, we see this in Genesis, we're gonna see this in sharp, sharp focus in Exodus chapter three when God speaks to Moses when God says, I am that I am. 
And the word Yahweh, the name Yahweh, comes from the verb to be. And that verb can be past, present, or future. What God's saying, when God reveals who he is, that name Yahweh is saying, I am. I am the eternal one. I am yesterday and today and forever. I am alone in a category all by myself. I simply am that I am. In Genesis chapter one, we discover that God belongs in a category all his own because it says in the beginning, God created. Everything that is not God, everything that is not Yahweh is in the category of creation. He stands alone as creator. The name Yahweh is a name that means that God is in an eternal category all his own. There's no other name that belongs in the same category as the name of Yahweh. But it can be confusing as we read. So here's the deal. Here's what Carmen Imes, she's a Hebrew scholar. Here's what she has to say about God's name. I wanna read this to you. I think this is really helpful. Scholars today aren't precisely sure how to pronounce God's name because in Hebrew, we're given just four consonants, Y-H-W-H. Later in history, Jews adopted the practice of replacing the divine name, Y-H-W-H, with other words out of reverence. So God's name is so holy that we're not going to say his name. So when reading the biblical text, they might refer to Yahweh as Adonai, which means Lord, or as Hashem, which means the name. And in order to remind people, uh, in order to remind people not to say God's name, Jewish scribes attached the vowels of Adonai to the consonants of Yahweh, resulting in a nonsensical word, Yahovah. <laughs> you got it? So the idea is that as you're reading and you read a word that is not a word, it makes you stop and remember this is a name that is so sacred that I cannot speak it out of my mouth. It's a word that they created by fusing those two things together to stop and remind you of the holiness of his name. And it was meant to remind people to say Adonai. Later still, Christian scholars trying to read ancient Hebrew sounded out this nonsense word and came up with Yehovah. Our English Bible translators follow Jewish tradition of avoiding pronunciation of the name by representing the Hebrew YHWH with Lord in all capital letters. So, okay, you guys good? For those of you that were spacing out for five minutes, come back. Here's all I need you to know. When you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, you are reading in that place God's personal name. In that place is the name that is above every name. Capital L-O-R-D is a personal name of God. And everything that we're gonna read here in these opening uh, chapters of Exodus is gonna be about God personally defining who he is. You wanna know who I am? I am the one that brings my children out of bondage and into freedom. This is the theme of the opening of the book of Exodus. So what do you notice in the first seven verses? Okay, go back to Exodus chapter one. What do you notice in the first seven verses? A couple of things I need you to pay close attention to. The first is in verse seven. It says, but the people of Israel were fruitful 
and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now, let me just ask you this. Readers of Genesis, does that sound familiar? Does people being fruitful and increasing and multiplying sound at all familiar? It should. It's from Genesis chapter one, verse 26 through 28. And right here, what's happening is there's an intentional grab of Genesis 1, 26 through 28. What did God say to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1, 26 and 28? Be fruitful and multiply, fill the land, subdue it, have dominion over it. What was God setting up? God was setting up in that place, God's design, the, the vocation of humanity. The humanity was meant in the very beginning to be image bearers, meaning that they stewarded creation by reflecting God's image into creation. And this was their, this was their task. This was their vocation in Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 28. This is God's design And so when we read in Exodus chapter one, what we might not expect to find is God's people doing that very thing that they're supposed to do. Why wouldn't we expect to find it there? Because they're in exile. They're in the wrong place. And if you've read Genesis, this family's messed up a bunch. The last thing that you would expect to find of God's family in exile is them living into the very mandate that God gave humanity in the very beginning. But here it is that you discover that's exactly what they're doing. What does that mean to us? Why is that important? Well, the first thing I would say is that that ought to strike us here is that their past, that twisting, winding story of Violence and destruction that is the story of this family, their past does not define who they are. And that God is able to, by his grace, by his sovereignty, by his love, God is able to, even in a place where they don't belong, and even with a broken past, God is able to bring them into abundant life. And so what you see is in a place they don't belong, they are thriving. And their thriving is not because of their performance. Their thriving is not because they behaved really, really, really well in generations past. Their thriving is based on one thing and one thing alone. Can you guess it? It is the name. Their thriving is based on the fact that they belong to him. And so the thing that we read at the opening of the book of Exodus is that God's people, even in a place they don't belong and even with a broken history, because they belong to him, they are being fruitful and multiplying. We're supposed to attach to that the blessing of God. We're supposed to, our ears are supposed to perk up and go, whoa, these people are, these people are blessed. There's something significant happening in here because this is not the recipe that would produce this result. There must be something else going on. And that other thing going on is that they belong to him. You with me? That's the first thing we need to notice. Now, Pharaoh's not gonna like that much. We're gonna get to that in subsequent weeks. Pharaoh's not gonna like that much. But the other thing I want you to notice, and it's where we're gonna kind of camp out for the rest of our, for the rest of our time, how many of you guys in your Bible reading plan, there's two things you skip over. Okay, you ready for some honesty? 
There's two things we skip over in our Bible reading plan. Anytime there's a long list of names, tell the truth. I hear some of y'all with your humble brag on Instagram, like finished my Bible reading plan today. And I want to go to, did you go, uh, did you, so you know, you read every name, like you for real? You read, we skip over the names. What else do we skip over? We skip over the long list of laws. We're like, I don't know about all that dietary stuff. Just move on, <laughs> right? Those are the things we skip over. We're tempted to do that right here in this opening of Exodus, we're tempt- we got this list of names and we're like, okay, just skip past that to you know, something in maybe verse eight. <laughs> but we can't do that. Anytime, anytime scripture stops and gives us a genealogy, it matters. And it's connecting us to different things, different pieces, different clues, things we need to be picking up along the way. Now, here's what we need to grab here. And there's a ton we could go over in these names. But for today's purposes, what I want to grab is this is the name. These are the names of the people from the household that closes in Genesis chapter 50, right? This is a connection. This is a bridge. Genesis 50 ends with this family. Exodus 1 picks up with this very same family. It's connecting us to the fact that this is the covenant family of God. But what else is important about names? What do names tell us? Names tell us that there are people in the story. Why do names matter? Why does scripture not just come out and tell us all about who God is? as a list, like a baseball card. Why don't we just turn over the baseball card in scripture and go, okay, I just need to know the facts about God. But God doesn't reveal himself in that way. There's names in this story. Why are there names in this story? There's names in the story because there's names in this room. You guys tracking? There's names here because there's names here. What do names do? Names matter because it shows us that when Yahweh acts, he acts in the context of human history. God acts in real time. He is working out his purposes in and through these stories and your story. Don't skip through the names. The names locate us in a place. The names locate us in a family. The names locate us in stories of birth and death and thriving and struggle and pain. This, names bring us into a story. And I just, we've got to grab this, that God's desire is to reveal himself, to speak about who he is to the nations of the world in and through human stories. Yours is not an exception. And here's the deal. You read this list of names and do a little study, here's what you're gonna find out. There is nothing significant about any of these people other than they belong to him. There's nothing significant in their story. In fact, these are, this is a list of some of the most disqualified people you could probably find on the face of the planet. I'm, I don't mean this in any kind of way, but people just like you and me. Right? I mean, I think you look beautiful this morning in your purple. You look dazzling. But this is a room, this is a room full of the most disqualified people on planet Earth. It just, if you're anything like me, 
If you're anything like me, you know that to be a fact. But as I look back at my family history, as I look back at my story, as I look back at my yesterday, what I'm gonna find is I'm gonna find every reason to not belong. That's the list of names in Exodus chapter one. It's a list of names that don't belong other than they belong to him. Just as a reminder, this is the same group of siblings that not too many chapters earlier tried to have their brother killed, right? But way back, God designed and desired to attach his name to our stories. Now, I want to talk to those of you that are in the room that are like, 22 and younger, okay? Now, this is for everybody, even those that feel like 22. But I wanna specifically talk to those of you that find yourself in middle school or in high school, you university students. Yahweh's design is to reveal his name, to reveal who he is by attaching himself directly to a people that bear his name. He reveals himself by making us his own. And I want you to know that all throughout your journey, you have already experienced it, but all throughout your journey into maturity and into adulthood, you are gonna be consumed with a myriad of voices screaming for you to be somebody. Find your significance in what you can accomplish. Find your significance in where you stand in the classroom. Find your significance in what job you can acquire and who you are socially and how much money you can make. Voices after voices after voices after voices are gonna be screaming at you to be somebody based on those things. But your worth and your value, your significance is in none of those things. The key to abundant life is to realize that all, the entirety of your worth, the entirety of your significance is found in him. Yahweh has, a chosen, has chosen to attach his name, the name to yours. He has chosen to call you his own. He has chosen to invite you into fellowship with him through faith in Jesus. There is your value. And when you discover that truth, when you lock in to that reality, you will never have to live another day trying to convince another person of your worth. In Acts chapter one, Jesus has a group similar to this room and similar to that list there, a group of insignificant names other than that they belong to him. They call them disciples and they're gathered waiting for this commission. They're gathered waiting for this power, this assignment and here's what the resurrected Jesus says to them. He says that you, speaking to a room just like you and me, you will be my 
witnesses. You will be my witnesses. You will bear my name to the nations of the world. This group of human beings who in and of themselves have no great significance, again, just like you and me, except, except that they're the recipients of Yahweh's grace and love for them. And it's because of his appointing that you and I have become bearers of the name so that the nations might know who he is. Our significance is that we belong to him. But because we belong to him, we have the responsibility and the mandate to declare his name to the nations of the world. Not to declare his name by saying our own, but to declare his name by hiding our own behind who he is and declaring that all of our worth, all of our value comes in and through Jesus who died and rose on the third day to rescue me from my sin and deliver me into life and to set me free out of bondage. And that story can be your story. Would you come into this family? I'm preaching. Y'all hear the gospel this morning? That's our significance. That's what Exodus is going to tell us. In the next chapters, we're gonna find a guy where the story opens who has absolutely no idea who he is. We easily refer to him as Moses as if it's this real neat and tidy thing. He has no idea who he is until he is defined by the one that bears the name. Here's our invitation for this morning. Our invitation, if you're new here, uh, this is our two-minute warning, meaning if you've just been chilling, playing Candy Crush or something this whole time, like lock in for, with me for a couple minutes, okay? I just need a couple minutes of your time. If you've been with me the whole time, this is the point where we take a deep breath and we go, okay, now what do I do with this? That's what we mean here at Fredonia when we talk about invitation because we don't wanna be a people that are just hearers of the word. You with me? We wanna be doers of the word. So what that means is that when we hear the truth and it sets us free, that we have responsibility to step into that truth, step into that. We have to act based on what we know. We have to act based on what God has revealed. And I just believe the spirit of God has been at work and we're just gonna believe that every Sunday when we gather where there are two or more gathered that God is present and with us and that his spirit is working on each one of us in ways that only he knows how to do. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna say together it's important for us to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. So a time of invitation is simply that very first step of obedience. Now, for some of you, that may mean sitting in your chair and you're having just a private conversation with the Lord as we sing. Maybe that's what it looks like for you. Maybe it's just, it's just marinating on what God is saying to you and what the Spirit is revealing this morning. Maybe that's you. For others of you in the room, there needs to be a little movement. So up here at, the, at these steps, we just make it a time that is open. If you need to come and just lay your head down on these steps and, and that step of obedience of just getting up and moving is something that you need to do. These steps are open for you. Let me just say, this is not a time for show. If you're up here for everybody to see you, you're up here for the wrong reasons. But if God is pulling you, you just come on. The other thing I want you to be free to do in this house is to minister to one another. If the Spirit of God is prompting you to pray with someone or for someone, please get up and move across the room. This is a room that needs to be alive in ministering to one another. You are free to do that in this house this morning. And the other thing that we're gonna have is in the very back, there's gonna be a group of people, we call them prayer partners. And these are not counselors. 
These are not experts. They're not gonna repeat my sermon. They are simply people that are gonna stand back there. And when you come and say, this is what God's doing, will you pray with me? They're just gonna agree with you in prayer. They're gonna join you before the throne and they're gonna agree with you in prayer. And here's the deal. You may not know them. That doesn't matter. It's all right. Just you'll find a friendly face back there if you need to pray with somebody. Please, please, please just move to the back where you can pray. I'd invite you to stand and I wanna just remind you. I wanna just remind you that these names at the opening of Exodus, they in and of themselves and their stories are full of mess, full of brokenness, just like you and me. Their story is not defined by their past. Their story is not defined by their family of origin. Their story is defined because he chose to place his name on them. And the God of the universe has acted in and through Jesus in his death and in his resurrection to make a way for you and me to come into that same family. The scripture says that when we place our faith in him and we repent of our sin, we turn away from living for ourselves and we commit all of our lives to him, we lay it all down and ask Jesus to be Lord. What scripture says is that in that moment, we are born again, we are made new. The old is gone and the new has come. Our sin is forgiven and we are filled with new life. The presence of the spirit invades our being and the name of God is attached to you and me and we're sent to the nations of the world to declare that good news gospel. And if you have not stepped into the family this morning, and this morning the Spirit of God is prompting you, calling you, wooing you by his grace and love, saying, come, you belong with me. I would invite you to move to the back of the room with one of those prayer partners and just tell them when you get back there, just go, hey, I just it's time for me to put my faith in Jesus. Can you help me to do that? If that's you this morning, just please feel free to move to the back of the room. The rest of you, I would just say, however the Spirit is leading you, be obedient, be obedient. Holy Spirit, we trust you with this moment. We thank you that though we are nothing, you have attached your name to us. We thank you that our value and our significance is not found in the things of the world, but in the God who calls us his own. God, I pray that the reality of our identity in you would sink deep into our heart and mind this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.